This is Prayer Room Companion, episode 90, recorded March 28, 2012. Catholic Culture, part 2, or Sasquatch. Welcome to This Week in Prayer Room Companion. I am Chris Bergwald, and back with us after a two-week hiatus. <laughs> hiatus? Well, Father Andrew Dickinson. Hello, Father. Why hiatus? I mean, last week was a very good reason not to be here. I did, hi, hiatus doesn't connote bad reason or lack of a good reason. It makes me think of hijinks. Hi, well, well uh, I, I think there were hijinks involved. I think there is <laughs> hijinks and harassment of diocesan staff uh, underway uh, uh, when you were absent. That's it. I'm not going to say anything else this entire podcast in protest. <laughs> last week, uh, we... Treatment in this podcast. <laughs> last week, uh, we may have mentioned uh, two weeks ago, but last week was the... Um, we celebrated the Chrism Mass for the diocese. Uh, a, a beautiful Mass. Um, if you've never been to one in your diocese and, and, and your cathedral is nearby, I would um, encourage you to attend uh, maybe this year if you haven't had it yet, but, but next year if you already have like we have. Um, Chrism Mass is the coming together, the gathering of the presbyterate uh, together in the, uh, with, with the bishop to renew their priestly promises and then also the blessing of holy oils it, it happens. So in our diocese, because we're so geographically rural, uh, spread out, the, um, the, the, we, we have that Mass a couple weeks before Holy Thursday, which is what it normally is. But uh, Father, I thought it was a beautiful Mass. Uh, do you agree or do you think it was ugly? <laughs> it was ugly. I thought it was a beautiful Mass. I enjoyed it very much. I thought Bishop gave a very nice homily. Uh, I'm loving the new cathedral each time we have a mass in there. Um, just kind of the stateliness, the, uh, the beautiful uh, aspects of it. Um, and uh, uh, I just, I, I really enjoyed that. Yeah, it was the first uh, chrism mass in the cathedral of St. Joseph since the cathedral was reopened last July. So as Bishop said, uh, we had a mass at uh, chrism mass for the last couple of years at another parish in town, but it's nice to be home, he said. Yes. Um, amen yes. to that. So, so um, as those of you who listened to last week's uh, podcast know, in, in, in uh, trying somehow to make up for Father's um, approved absence, uh, we had Kevin and Renee, nice. and, and we talked about uh, Catholic culture, and, and it so happens that, and this wasn't really intended, but, but our, our, our topic for this week is, is going to, I think, flow nicely from, from last week's. Um, there's Ron Austin is a longtime Hollywood producer who um, last year was received into, um, I think, the, the, uh, the College of Fellows at the Dominican School of Philosophy and Theology uh, in, I think, in Berkeley. Um, the Dominican School of Theology and Philosophy uh, has a College of Fellows, and, and, and Ron Austin, as a Hollywood producer, was, was welcomed into it actually last May, nearly, nearly a year ago. And he gave a commencement address um, at, uh, at the, uh, uh, the Dominican, School, Dominican School of Philosophy and Theology's annual commencement. He gave the annual commencement address. And I shared with the Father, and we thought we'd talk about it. And it does, as I mentioned, flow from our conversation about Catholic culture last week. Uh, just to, Briefly, he, he touches on a number of themes, but I think maybe, and Father, you can add your, your two cents on this. I, I think maybe one way to summarize what he's doing is looking at um, the nature of 
what we call popular culture, mass culture, culture, and uh, the, the church's engagement with it, and give some ideas for how the church might my church might continue in its engagement with it uh, as we move forward. Would you, do you think that's a fair summary, or something else you want to add by way of summarizing the address? No, I think that's pretty fair. Uh, I was. I really enjoyed it, but uh, yes, I think that's that's a fair summation. So before we get into it, and and, and uh, Father and I offering our thoughts and some of the parts of it that that really struck each of us, you, I, you certainly can find this online. Just uh, googled Dominican School of Philosophy and Theology Ron Austin Commencement Address. Um, should bring you right to it. Um, it's got a long URL, so I won't bore you with that. Uh, but I think if you if you Google uh, do a Google search that way, you should come up. Upon it, so with that, Father, um, what was it about what was it about the address that really struck you? Well, first of all, just uh, the way he kind of sets the scene or the history of the status uh, or the state of, of, as he calls it, misnamed popular uh, culture uh, in the United States. Just that understanding that uh, from someone who's been involved in Hollywood in various ways, just the reality that there isn't much of a culture, at least on a wide or popular basis, in the United States right now. Um, and, and bring it up, uh, for me, even someone who's likes to kind of look at some things about culture today, um, uh, just raise up some really good questions on his part uh, about uh, the state of culture today, pop culture, and uh, how it's it's really uh, more of a, a it really can't be called a culture. It's a pseudo culture, he calls it. Yeah. Um, the uh, particularly, and then uh, which raises up questions, which I think we'll get into a bit uh, before we go a little farther. The whole idea of whether enculturation is possible, mm -hmm. and uh, which I think is a very interesting question. I also then enjoyed uh, some of just his evaluation of uh, the pseudo culture as such, and some of the uh, references that he that he pulls from um, in that regard. And then, uh, and then the final point, which I think hopefully we'll spend the most time on today, is then the urging of the churches. Uh, the church to stay invested in and developing its own culture. Right. Um, yeah, and those were those were uh, in many ways the, the same points that that struck me as well. Um, to that first one, the, 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 his. So if you if you haven't paused the podcast and read the address yet, uh, <laughs> Austin's point with with. Uh, saying that mass culture, popular culture, isn't really a culture. He, he, he points out that a culture um, typically is coherent and, and it teaches something. Um, but then he says, to the extent that the so-called popular culture is incoherent and contradictory, it is not a reliable guide to life or beliefs. So, so even a bad culture, in a sense, has a consistent and a coherent theme or message. And so Austin's point is that our culture, it's not just that it's a bad culture, it's not a culture at all because it's not consistent. It's, it's, it's not coherent. It's self-contradictory in so many ways, which, I mean, really, I think he's right, and I think you see that in the world. We live in a confused culture because the culture is confused. Uh, and, and you see that. In, in I think the lives of many Americans who are trying to live uh, in a sense following the teachings of a culture whose teachings don't make any sense as a system. Yes? Awkward pause. <laughs> Sorry, uh, Father. <laughs> silent protest on hiatus. Yes. Yeah. Um, I'm taking a, uh, uh, a creative writing class on campus this year. 
It's interesting the number of uh, fallen away or inactive Catholics in the class, which is another story into itself. But how many of them then kind of grasp at um, religious imagery, and they have no idea what it means? Mm. So uh, someone, a nice, a very nice fellow who's writing a book, you know, uh, uh, a mythical book about the angel of death, uh, and how the angel of death uh, doesn't like his job. How very postmodern. Um, but the angel of death doesn't like his job, and so then he's writing in the sense of uh, trying to figure out what it is then that, uh, or where this conflict is going to come, where this conflict is like. So the angel of death serves God, but he's in conflict with God and all sorts of things like this. And so this borrowing of religious imagery and ideas without any coherence, because they themselves don't have any coherent vision on things. And so I, I gave him some Frank Sheed uh, to say, well, here's the actual coherent Catholic position on these things so you can know. You know, I, I don't think what you're doing is a Catholic thing, even though you wanted to borrow from Catholic ideas, but that's just, that's my evaluation of where you are in that way. Mm-hmm. So what else did you, um, talking, because you were the first one before I, I sort of summarized what he said, you were, the, you, you were struck by what he had to say. Was there something else in, with that first point that in, in Austin's address that struck you? Uh, well, I think well, one thing is that you know I think you could see in a certain sense where um, some of the church's critiques of of capitalism uh, can actually come into play here, because in a lot of ways what we see is that American the American milieu or pseudo culture hasn't been formed out of a pursuit of beauty; it's been formed out of a pursuit of money. Right. Yeah. And just so it's a description that Hollywood is a business. Hollywood is not. Um, a, a, it's a consumer business, consumer capitalism, as opposed to uh, the way the arts were formed, uh, at least in the Western world, by patrons, you know, who wanted something beautiful, and they you know, they didn't pay so much a fee as they did just you know provided livelihood for the artists themselves, and so all the middlemen that have become involved, how it, this complication hasn't produced more art or better art, right. It's made more money, but not necessarily better. You know, you, you hear people bemoaning the fact that, you know, the, uh, when it comes to Hollywood's movies, um, it tends to be either sequels, prequels, or knockoffs of hot comic book characters. Right. And that they're, you know, and, I mean, how many, uh, you have your, you have your um, I don't know, uh, you do have your, your, your more artistic movies, but they're certainly not marketed uh, to the masses. What's marketed to the masses is fast food, a fast food take on, on film. Very much so. Which uh, then forms uh, us in how, we, uh, in how we look at things now. And, and I don't think that, I mean, I, I certainly think that to some degree there's, there's probably an agenda on the part of, of some people in Hollywood, apart from making money in terms of advancing their own ideas and how society ought to be. But by and large, I, I, I agree um, that what they're doing is just pandering to our base interests because that's how you can make a lot of money. Right. Well, especially to a society that at the same time, educationally and other ways, hasn't learned how to uh, restrain its base interests. Exactly. Right. So we, we, we want fast food, so they keep giving it to us because it makes them money and makes us, quote-unquote, happy. Exactly. 
makes us satisfied <laughs> for the yes. moment. Yes, for the moment, exactly. And, so, and I think you can see the same thing repeated in popular music um, and uh, popular novels. Uh, any, in any realm of, uh, of popular consumption and the pseudoculture, as, uh, as Ron Austin refers to it as. Absolutely. So um, the, the next point that you, you had raised that, that struck you was this, the conversation about enculturation. Um, actually, and I'll go ahead and let you take the lead there and offer my thoughts after. Well, he makes the point then that because there isn't really a culture, um, he, he raises the question then, what is the church's mission of enculturation to a place that doesn't really have a culture? For those of you that aren't aware, enculturation is something uh, definitely in the past 30, 40 years has been seen to be a, uh, uh, a priority or a, uh, one of the goals, if you will, of the church um, since the Second Vatican Council. Um, and so he says, uh, he says, when I entered the Catholic Church over 30 years ago, the goals of the post-conciliar period were articulated in terms of enculturation, the integration, if not assimilation, of Christians and their gospel ideals into the present-day society. But can one speak of enculturation if there is, in effect, no culture? At the very least, this objective needs to be seriously reconsidered in the light of the degree of alienation and increasing social fragmentation. I'm not just speaking of talk radio. Mm -hmm. um, and so, uh, so this whole idea then of this, of this fragmentation that has gone on, um, and he goes on to talk about how the fragmentation has gone on, but I think that's a, that's a very valid point. And, and now I think a... I think there's a there's a, a critique you can make of this point, which maybe we'll bring up in a little bit. But I think I think just to sit with that point for a moment and think about that is is certainly worth it. Yeah, it's it, so enculturation is one of those um, words. For those who are familiar with it, I think it, it has some uh, there's some analogy there between enculturation and social justice. There's what it means, but there's also what it connotes, and they're definitely not always the same thing. And so enculturation sometimes, unfortunately, has been uh, misused uh, in a way, with, to, to his point, to mean the assimilation of, of the church's teachings uh, and, uh, and of Catholics and Christians into present-day society. What enculturation ought to be, in a sense, is the translation of of the gospel, the good news, into a language that the culture can understand. The problem is, and I and I do think you know, as you mentioned, a critique can be made of Austin's position. But it, where I also think um, he's onto something, he has a valid point. If, if the culture is not a real culture, you you can, if it doesn't have a language. How can you translate it into the gospel into its language when it has no coherent language itself? In other words, if, if the natives, so to speak, um, only talking gobbledygook, you can't translate the gospel into gobbledygook. Uh, so how do you how do you enculturate the gospel where it can be uh, coherently understood by people who don't have a coherent understanding of reality? Right, right, and that's and that, that's precisely I think one of the challenges. For those of us that are committed to such efforts as the new evangelization, right? Because one of the one of the hallmarks you, you come across this a lot in in uh, the, the the writings of the, the popes on this and the writings of others that one of the hallmarks of the new evangelization is to evangelize our culture. Uh, but but I think Ron Austin does again make a valid point here. Um, 
in a way, that's a particular challenge in our day and age because the culture lacks coherence. And so really, I think you have to, this is my, so, okay, so what do we do? Um, I think we have to focus on maybe instead of trying to find the, uh, the, the popular culture that sums up the United States, maybe the cultures in which we live, um, where I think at the smaller level, there's at least a little bit more coherence. People are living, obviously, to some degree, um, uh, according to a certain culture, and maybe trying to, to translate the gospel into the culture of those who we actually deal with and come in contact with uh, might be one way that we can try to accomplish this enculturation uh, in our pseudo-culture. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I think, but I think that the problem that that, that raises is, is just practically that's, it's a lot of different little cultures, if you will. Right. Yep. A lot of little pseudo-cultures wherever they're found, yep. um, which implies in the danger of, of fracturing. He talks a bit about that kind of fracturing that has occurred. And I think the danger in that is that uh, fractures then could form the church in that way. Right, right. You know, you think about uh, the great schism between East and West was one, in many ways, not based on theology, but on culture. That's true. Yep. And so I think uh, we certainly should take that lesson from history then as well. Not to become cultural uh, hegemony, is that the right word? Hegemony, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hegemony. Hegemony. Not to become a cultural hegemony, but at the same time uh, to, uh, to be cautious. I think which um, brings us to his, to his final point, the one that I'd most like to talk about. Yep. Um, but... Uh, 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 I think also the also thing to think about too with regard to um, his critique, though I think one one response to his critique would be, "Well, you're just a snob, <laughs> right?" And you don't think that uh, Hunger Games, Twilight, and Harry Potter are real culture, mm. right? Um, that uh, uh, you know the latest uh, scandalous show on AMC or FX is not a is not a good is not good art, you know, or that uh, uh, a urinal is not good art. You know, think about the, the plastic arts or in music. You know, that Lady Gaga really didn't rip off Madonna, who was just a cheap musical production, anyways. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you can see where I lie, but uh, I think that's a, that would be one critique that might be offered against his analysis. But. I think the thing that'd be most interesting, though, today is, or at least I think the point I've spent most time on then is his ending point, uh, that the church must then um, offer its own culture to invite other people to. Mm-hmm. Um, he talks about, and we can talk a little more about this, but he, he uses the line that the uh, Catholics should seek to offer, in a sense, a silent film. Right, that the Catholic life should be in almost a sense a silent film that allowed, allowed, allows others to see uh, the life of faith and be invited into it. Yeah, he says, uh, we're called now to create a silent movie of who we are. This is, that is a living and visible alternative way of life. We can add the dialogue later. That, that's just a, that is a beautiful analogy. Very much so. Responding to the, you know, if if the culture in which you live is fragmented and incoherent, then maybe our best response at this point, rather than trying to dialogue with all these multiple fragments, is to simply live out our gospel, live out, live out our, our our beliefs, live out our way of life, 
and and let that be a light um, to the Gentiles. And exactly, and then we can add, yeah, just we can add a the lumen gentium. Exactly. See what I'm doing there? Huh? Huh? See what you're doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, um, when I think part of this too, just and as we've been just talking about here, I think um, one of the tensions then becomes, well, we don't want to. We want to make sure that we're not ghettoizing ourselves. Yeah. That we're not isolating ourselves in this uh, to create our own cultural isolation, our own cultural hegemony. 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 Um, but we wouldn't be, I think, in the sense, or, or we have to be in guard against that accurately. Yes, definitely so. But at the same time, this notion that uh, that we can create um, a culture that is still transparently open, even though it's apart. And I think that's one of the great gifts of, of uh, postmodernity and modernity in this way is that you really could create a culture that would be a silent film. So I think that's that applies to this analogy: a silent film, even though. It's not maybe engaging in a dialogue. It's still uh, projecting, and it's still inviting in that sense. And so far from, uh, I, I think, the notion that instead of inculturating, we need to make sure that we're building our own culture as well and having that culture be inviting. And, and some people say, well, that's just a reactionary uh, conservative movement to pull back. Well, actually, no. I think it could be a very liberal in that sense, a very liberating experience for the church. Um, by which it's able then to, especially in the milieu of modern life, able to project itself outward. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, it, it does. I, I think um, the thing, and this, this is kind of going back a little bit to the, this is the interaction between the second and third points, though. Um, the fact of the matter is, in, in order to build up our culture, <laughs> the, the vast majority of Catholics, even Catholics who are regular mass attend, mass goers, um, are formed by the pseudo-culture. So to some degree, we have to enculturate the gospel so we can build up our own culture. Do you know what right. I mean? I mean the, 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 we have this problem where the, 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 the Catholics who we want to build up this Catholic culture um, are living the pseudo-culture. So we have to, in order, in order to accomplish the third goal, in fact, we do have to try to some extent to um, enculturate the gospel at least for those people in the pews. And then I think that will allow us to project the silent film, so to speak, to the rest of, of the society around us. What do you think? Very much so. I think, although I think there is a real danger, though, um, in the sense so that will society still be modern and open to us uh, proclaiming our individuality? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I think, uh, and this goes back to, to me, what are the dangers if we, as you said, this is not about closing herself off and creating a new ghetto. Um, I, I think there, I, many Catholics would understandably have the, the temptation today to say, listen, considering what's going on around us, we need to build our own ghetto to keep the world out, you know, if, let them do their own thing. The problem is, as we're seeing, um, the world doesn't really like us doing our own thing. The world doesn't really want us to have our own ghetto. The world wants us to be just like it. Right. Uh, and so... It will not suffer best, any competitors. Exactly. Exactly. So the best defense, frankly, is a good offense. And so this building up the Catholic culture is, uh, is, is both to, in a sense, protect ourselves as much as it is to 
frankly, do the important thing of, of bringing the gospel to the world in which we live. Yeah, very much so. The, um, there's a, uh, coming back to an article, this makes me think of an article I read recently from First Things, um, where they quote a Boston University sociologist, Peter Berger. He's talking about modernity and modern life, and he said, uh, to the extent that a society becomes modern, then it will be packed with people who hold to widely divergent beliefs and values, any of which may be questioned. And the glue of the system is not that we all agree with one another, but that we make a commitment to not always equate disagreement or even disapproval with bigotry. And I think that's I think that's precisely the point where we're going to run into that tension right now is that our disagreement, our disapproval, is more and more being seen as bigotry or hatred, when it's simply disagreement. Right. We're being uh, uh, villainized in this way, and so in a certain sense, I mean, it's it's going to be interesting to see how successful it will be to run the silent movie. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There will be plenty of attempts to shut off the power. Yes, or burn down the theater even. Yes. But. So what else, Father? What else from uh, this point? Uh, was, was there anything else from this point that... Uh... Well, I think also there's the, the evidential power of beauty Ooh. in this way. Um, it's one of my favorite arguments of why uh, God does not want us to be vegetarians. Uh, at least under, like, uh, impulse of moral law, he doesn't want us to be vegetarians. Oh, some... Well, he wants to be a vegetarian, I think that's fine, maybe it's a penitential thing. But it would be penitential precisely because there is an evidential power to the tastiness of meat. Mm. Right? So there's an evidence to beauty, um, especially true beauty. It's, it's, it's evidential. I mean, you can tell. You're struck by it. You're awed by it. Uh, I made a commitment in my first years as a priest, still in my first years as a priest, to buy and frame a nice reproduction of a good piece of art each year. Mm. Um, like I, I can staring across right now at uh, Raphael's Transfiguration, mm -hmm. you know, which is just absolutely gorgeous work of art. Uh, you know, and I think about Bishop uh, the cathedral renovation that was led by Bishop Swain, and it's a beautiful piece of art. And now people might be quibble and say, well, you know, it wasn't a good use of money or something like that. But no one can quibble that it's not a beautiful piece of art. Absolutely. Um, and so just the need to have beautiful things in that way, or even just in the liturgy itself, um, I think it raises a question in that regard as to, you know, the uh, enculturation of the liturgy or whether the liturgy should offer a, uh, a timeless Catholic culture as well. Um, I know at, uh, uh, I just read uh, American Magazine recently published a study uh, that it performed for the Diocese of Trenton, New Jersey, uh, coming in contact with some 300 individuals who had become inactive in their practice of the faith, asking them why. And one of the things they mentioned is bad music. <laughs> you know? Um, and uh, a priest friend in our diocese has been passing out like candy uh, a book from the 1990s called Why Catholics Can't Sing. And uh, just so it's, you know, so idea of, you know, as part of the new evangelization, there needs to be the building up of culture, and I think the liturgy being a primary place for it. More and more, I'm being convinced of that. Absolutely. Yeah, in the context here in the article, um, Austin says, as Pope Benedict has said, 
we Catholics will be judged by our saints and our art. End quote. I take that to mean that how we present ourselves to others must take a form far beyond argumentation. Benedict, in his sermons of the Church Fathers, observed that what drew Augustine to Ambrose wasn't so much the bishop's brilliant sermons or intellectual attainments, but the example of the Christian community Ambrose had formed in Milan. So again, the power of, of Christians loving one another, living, building and living a civilization of love, is itself uh, one of the greatest apologetics for the faith. Uh, as as Austin indicates, as Pope Benedict has said, for actually for decades now, that, that our saints and our art are, are are two of the best arguments for for Catholicism, if not the two best arts for arguments for Catholicism. Um, so that is the context for what we're what you're talking about here. Um, and I, I absolutely, I mean, I, in, 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 we're in an, a day and age, I think, where where people are immediately suspect of truth claims, using beauty and and its ability in a sense to get around the obstacles that we erect to truth claims is is one of the most effective means of evangelization very much so so anything else father from the uh the article that you want to comment on no i uh, so to just say thank you for making me read it i enjoyed it oh. very much <laughs> Good. I'm uh, I'm happy to every now and then find something that uh, that that pleases you, because that's that's why we laity are here. <laughs> um, all right. Well, I think uh, we'll uh, wrap things up for this week, and I'll give uh, Father uh, the the closing word. Sasquatch. And we'll be back next week with another episode of Prayer Home Companion. Thanks for listening and God bless. <laughs>